Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Learner's Corner. This is a podcast for lifelong learners where we learn from anything and everything. My name is Caleb Mason. And my name is Todd Hicksonball, a.k.a. The Todd Father. Hey, I'm manufacturing some energy this morning for you, Caleb. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. It's actually not the morning. It's afternoon, too. Duh. Unless you're listening in the morning, then it... Then it's in the morning. Then it might be the morning. Or you could be like me and listen while you're watching NCIS at night. Do we really want to go down this path? We will Todd. Later. Todd listens... This is going to blow your mind. It blew my mind. Todd listens to podcasts while watching TV. Yeah, you just take one of the head the, the earbuds out, and you're watching the show, and you put it on something light, you know? Yeah, and if you're listening thinking, man, that sounds crazy, you are correct. Anyway, we have a great episode for you today. Today, we're talking with Emily P. Freeman. Emily has actually today her book comes out the next right thing a simple soulful practice for making life decisions and Emily is actually a Wall Street um, Journal best-selling author she's also the host of the next right thing podcast she helps create space for the soul to breathe offering fresh perspective on the sacredness of our inner life with God and we're super excited to talk with her actually you had to miss this conversation but it is it's a really fascinating conversation because not just because I had it, um, but also because I'm just dealing with some of the things that she talks about in her book of, you know, struggling with, you know, decision. Like we get into talking about decision fatigue. How do you overcome that? How do you identify what the next right thing is? And so on and so forth. Boom. Also, we want to thank this episode's sponsor, Sam Massey. Go, who, Sam. Go, Sam. Who created our new podcast music by the way hopefully hopefully you guys um are liking this and girls being sexist todd uh we had a couple people that i've talked to already who actually noticed that it was different i'm so proud of y'all so if you want to reach out to him you can hit actually you can just look in the show notes for his look in the show notes info. and hit him up on uh, hit him up on social media or his email address is there because caleb does his job well thank you todd now, before we get into our conversation with Ayo. Emily, we have our Learner's Corner recommended resource of the week. What do you got for me? Well, I have a podcast episode. Imagine that. That I listened to. And it is by Craig Rochelle. <gasps> I know. It's super good. It's uh, Craig, come on the podcast, man. It's called Keeping It Real. Have you listened to this episode, Todd? Uh, not yet. Are you serious? I do what I want, Caleb. So he talks about, um, obviously, keeping keeping it real. real. And he talks about ways that transparency can build up your team and improve your effectiveness as a leader. And it just, I don't know, it just really rang true for me and just really, you know. Caleb has a problem with being fake. Ah! (laughs) And really just rang true with me. And, um, was just really refreshing. In case you were wondering, well. yes, he gave me a nasty look. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure everybody knew that. Anyway, that is our Learner's Corner recommended resource of the week. Now, as we mentioned earlier, I talked with Emily Freeman, and here is our conversation. Well, Emily, we're so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Thanks for having me, Caleb. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. As of uh, as of uh, this recording, your book isn't out, but by the time that this uh, recording is aired, your book will be out. And you've had this, the, your book is called 
the next right thing. You also have kind of this blog and website and podcast based around the next right thing. And it's all about um, with filling creative tips and having conversations about how to how to take back our lives from the business and decision fatigue and all of this stuff as well. And I'm just curious, was there like a specific moment or something that happened in your life to where you're like, okay, I really need to focus on this right now? It's such a great question. You know, that phrase, um, just do the next right thing or just do the next thing has always been really meaningful to me. And But it wasn't, it's sort of like sometimes when something's meaningful to you, you don't realize it till you look back. Mm-hmm. And you don't realize it as it's happening that, oh, that's something I say a lot. And ever since I've been doing the podcast, the podcast started in August of 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, and since I've been doing that, because I think about this every week, we release episodes and um, I've, I'll see writing I did years ago, like on the blog or in a chapter of an old book. And I'm like, oh, there's that phrase. There it is again. You know, it's just been something that has definitely come up. But I would say it was about two, two and a half years ago when I was trying to decide whether or not to um, go to grad school. Honestly, mm-hmm. that was sort of the catalyst for me really thinking about the power of an unmade decision because I wasn't sure what I should do. It was one of those like really privileged decisions, you know, like, should yeah. I go to grad school or not? But it's even those decisions that are like between two good things, you know, um, can really trip us up and get stuck in our heads. So on the surface level, I was definitely um, deciding whether or not I should go to grad school. It was this decision, yes or no. But underneath, I was paying attention to how that decision captivated my imagination. It captivated my conversations and my attention. And that's when I started taking notes like, hmm, there might be something here as a writer and as a creative that I want to explore the power of an unmade decision in our lives. Mm -hmm. So I want to get into that in just a moment, but I would be uh, remiss if I didn't ask you, what, what are you learning right now as it concerns, you know, podcasting and even just creating content in general? Oh man, I we can we talk about this the whole time because I love that conversation. <laughs> I tell you what, there is um I used to be of the belief that many novice artists and creators are that you wait until you're inspired to do the work. And what I have learned now that I have somehow convinced people that this is my job, um <laughs> I have learned that you show up for the work whether or not you feel inspired and that it is rather than a pond or a lake that sort of has borders, it's more like a river that it just continues to flow, but you have to show up to it. And it's really a a table of abundance um, rather than, you know, a a tiny jar of scarcity, which is sometimes how, how I have seen it. And so that has been, I mean, having a weekly podcast where I am required meaning I'm making myself because I signed up for this job um, to have new fresh content every week is a fantastic practice for me. Honestly, I see it as a practice or a discipline, uh, a joyful one to um, to put things out, not because they're ready, but because it's time. Mm-hmm. And that is a discipline that you know, 10 years ago would have terrified me because it's like, but it's not perfect. It's not right. I could say more. It's like, yeah, you could just say it next time, but this one, it's time to let it go. Yeah. I love that. And, uh, maybe we'll just need to do uh, a second podcast sometime in the future, all about creating content and, and stuff like that. Um, but I'm interested in talking about, uh, what you were saying with decision fatigue as well. Um, I think that's something that's become a little bit more known by people, but uh, just in case someone is listening and they're not sure what that is, what do you mean by that? You know, there are 
our our brains are like uh, a gas tank in many ways. And once the gas has been used, um, you just have to refill it. There's no amount of like gumption that can, you know, make it last longer. You just have to refill the tank. And some of us have different capacities than others, but there is a limit that we all have. And so that idea of decision fatigue, I think we can put those two words together and figure out context clues, what that means. But in experience, um, you know, it is said that we make over 35,000 decisions every day. I know that sounds like I'm making that number up. And in some ways I doubt it, but every place I've looked to try to discount it, um, I keep seeing that number 30 to 35,000 that comes up all the time. And so when you think about that, you know, like I think a lot of those are probably subconscious. We don't, we're not deciding things 35,000 times. We are, but it's sort of automatic. Mm -hmm. But then there are all these other things that when something happens in our life that is tragic, joyful, uh, transitional, some change, some dis some new decision that needs to be made, all of those decisions are still there, the 35, but we are now piling on top of that new things. And so I think we can all relate to that feeling of, you know, if someone asks me one more question, um, we just get to the point where we're like, you just decide for me. I don't even care. I can't, you know, and so something where in a time that's not feeling stressful, we might really care about this particular decision. When we're in the midst of 20 decisions similar to that, we lose our capacity to care because it's like our brain and body's way of saying, of like going into shutdown self-preservation mode. Um, and so that, but, but that decision fatigue place is not a real fun place to live. And so I think that the, um, we can't always avoid it. Mm -hmm. But one thing I'm learning is rather than waiting until I get to that point of decision fatigue, what might it look like to, as much as I am able to fashion my life in such a way that um, it supports more soulful decision making as best that I can. And mm -hmm. so that's kind of what I've been thinking about and, and practicing for the last several years. Yeah. Can you give um, like maybe what are, what are one or two things that help you get to that place of that more soul, soulful decision making? You know, there's, there's several things. Um, one is uh, living a life of reflection is one that I really value. For some people, that comes really naturally. Other people are like, reflect what? what? <laughs> We're moving forward. What do you mean look back? But I do think uh, our greatest teacher for future decisions is often decisions we've made in the past. And uh, they can tell us a lot. And so I, I have for maybe the last... I don't know, five years or so have really practiced a regular rhythm of 90 day reflection where I look back in the last 90 days. I tend to do it seasonally, winter, summer, spring, fall, and uh, look back and see what have I learned in the past 90 days? What was life giving and what was life draining? It doesn't mean that I can eliminate everything on my life draining list and then I'm going to only do the things on my life giving list. But if I don't take the time to reflect, I might continue to say yes to things that continue to drain life from me and take the place of something that would be life-giving to me mm -hmm. that I may be more gifted and qualified for. But if I'm not taking the time to reflect, then I forget. I mean, I just forget. That's just mm -hmm. kind of how we go. So that's one thing. And I think a second thing is, um, I, in fact, just a couple weeks ago, I was talking to a mentor of mine. And I'm in the midst of a really busy season of life. I think a lot of us can relate. And I was telling her, you know, 
the thing, you know, it's like the, what is it? The, the shoemakers kids have no shoes. I don't know. The thing that you learn the most is sometimes the thing you forget to implement. And so I'm, you know, creating all this content for do the next right thing and make space for your soul to breathe. And then I'm asking my mentor, like, I'm losing my mind. What do I, and she reminded me, she was like, my first piece of advice is to hang on to your morning routine. And I remembered, oh, yeah, I talk about that. And there's something really powerful about having a really dependable morning routine. And it can be as simple as a five-minute thing you do every day. My friend Kendra Adachi, who has a podcast called The Lazy Genius Podcast, she talks about doing one thing every morning that makes you feel like a person. And I think that's such a great thing. Like, it could just be wash your face. It could be listen to your favorite song, something that makes you feel like a person. And then I, I like to also incorporate something soulful, like reading or prayer. Um, and then something that maybe gets me moving in the morning. And again, that might just be I walk out to check the mail that I didn't get, you know, yesterday afternoon mm -hmm. because dinner, everything was so busy. So just kind of remembering, like, there are things that I can do daily that keep, get me in a, in a practice, like a liturgy of my own life, a practice of this is dependable. This is something that's kind of like Steve Jobs wore the same outfit every day. That's one less decision. He mm -hmm. had, he only had 34,999 decisions <laughs> every day, I guess, because that one was made. And it's sort of a copying that a little bit, but in our daily rhythms. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure someone is thinking, okay, do the next right thing. How do I, how do I find out what the next right thing is? What advice would you give to that? Like, how do you discern, you know, and I understand that part of it is specific, but are there any patterns that you've seen of like, okay, this is how I know what the next right thing is? It's a great question. And I think the friendly word in the phrase, do the next right thing is the word next. I think we all kind of as people in the world who have a general sense of we want, you know, goodness to come around us. We want to do the right thing. I think we all long for that. But sometimes we can get tripped up because we don't always know what the right thing is. Um, so to take the word right out of it briefly, and just, you know, talking semantics, what is the next thing that I can do today? And and that's another key word is um, a lot of times the decision fatigue comes for me when I'm trying to carry all the decisions at once. And so rather than, um, so one thing to do for me is to pick one decision, hold it in my hand, name what it is in English words, because sometimes we feel like I have to make all these decisions. And then we actually write them down what the decisions are. And we realize, oh, that's not a decision. That's just a concern I have. That's just a worry. That's something I always mm -hmm. worry about. Or it is a decision, but it's not time to make it yet. It's too early. And so putting it in English words and then asking myself, you know, for example, if I was thinking about, um, you know, this summer we're making plans to travel uh, to London with my family. And um, we have some decisions to make about that, but they don't have to be made today. And so for me, one important thing is, oh, I'm, oh I have to make the decision about London. And I think, well, but we've already decided to go check. And then you kind of break it down into small pieces. And then you say, oh, do I need to book the Airbnb today? No. So putting that word today next to the English word sentence that you just decided is your decision can be really powerful to, to discern what is my next thing to do as it relates to this decision. It doesn't mean that there might sometimes the answer is, yes, I do need to book it today. Mm -hmm. That then becomes your next right thing. So it, it kind of feels mathy. But sometimes to my like, I can get swirly and twisty in my head of like, I have all the things I'm carrying. So to get it to a math place can mm -hmm. be really helpful. Yep.
Yeah, I've seen that too. Writing it down and putting it on pen and paper helps me a lot. So I know part of this entails you have to learn to become more comfortable with saying no to people as well. And so um, what tips would you give about learning to say no to someone and saying it in a nice way? as well. Because I think a lot of times, you know, it is the, well, I want to do that, but I can't do that right now. What advice would you give concerning that? My friend Lisa Turkers has a great book about that. I know we're talking about my book, but she's mm-hmm. got a great book called The Best Yes. And she gives like sentences of how, of like literally how to say no to people. And so I think this tip comes from her. Um, but one thing that has been helpful for me, I mean, literally like super practical advice mm-hmm. is to say, um, my heart says yes, but my schedule says no. And to let people know, like, I would love more than anything to do this. Because a lot of times that is the case. Now, sometimes it's not. Don't lie. But there are many times when, man, everything in me wants to say yes to this. But when I look at my schedule and my family and all the things, I realize that there's something um, that is outside of me that says I cannot do it, which, which actually sometimes is received really well by the person who you're telling no, because they hear your heart and they Mm -hmm. hear that, oh, the the connection is still there. The connection is not broken because I think that's what we fear, right? We want to belong. We want to be picked and um, we want to be chosen to do a thing and and we don't want to lose connection. And so we fear that if we say no, sometimes we worry that it will break that connection. So to remind the connection's still there, but it's just my schedule right now or whatever, whatever the reason for the no is. I do think sometimes um, we forget that I don't remember who the wise person, it might've been Anne Lamott. It might've been, I can't remember who it was that said no is a complete sentence that we don't have to give an answer or reason. Um, But for some of us who Mm -hmm. are highly relational, it can help us to feel like we're softening the no a little bit Mm -hmm. by just letting them know a little bit more context, but I don't think it's required. I do think part of becoming a grown up is learning to say less and less um, to qualify what we want and how, how we're choosing to live our lives. That can, that can be scary for some of us, but um, this is a great place to practice that when it comes to making commitments and saying yes and no. Yeah. And even just to go along with that, you know, something that kind of goes hand in hand is establishing boundaries yeah. as well. So for someone who's listening right now and maybe they're maybe they've never even thought I need to establish boundaries. I need to establish boundaries. Where where's the where's the pl- first place for them to begin and kind of what what how can they start that process? What a great question that is. You're making me think this morning. <laughs> well, I will tell you this. I think it's important to back way up in many ways when it comes to boundaries. And be really honest about about what we most deeply want. Because sometimes the reason why it's difficult to have boundaries is because we are allowing ourselves to um, meld in or mesh into what other people want, either for themselves or for us or other people's expectations. And so if we don't have the space um, to name the desires and to, and, and you can call that getting clear on your own values, your own priorities. Um, But I do think it oftentimes comes down to desire. Um, I think that's a great first step when it comes to establishing some boundaries. And it doesn't mean that we'll always get what we want. But there is a great difference between knowing what you want and demanding what you want. Mm 
Sometimes I have to put what I want on hold. Sometimes what I want is not super great for me. But if I don't admit it, it still exists there. And if I'm not willing to um, confront those things I most deeply long for and desire and want, healthy or unhealthy, they're going to come out one way or the other. And I would rather them come out with my full permission and awareness rather than them coming out in frustration or in um, a lack of boundaries or in me trying to please everyone around me. Um, So I do think when it comes to boundaries and setting them, being really honest about what I most deeply long for, because then that can help me um, follow the thread of love Mm -hmm. towards those things that I really want to say yes or no to and really feel called to say yes or no to. Sometimes I think we rush into a vacuum to say yes when really someone else is in the wings who is more maybe more qualified or more called to that space but um but I rush in to do the thing and it's not but it's not really mine to do Mm -hmm. so I think a couple of areas that is really easy for people to get overwhelmed in is whenever it comes to email and then social media as well amen what true what are um a couple of tips or things that you've learned how to not be so overwhelmed as it concerns email and then as it concerns social media as well. I've got two things, maybe three. We'll see what comes out. <laughs> the first thing is um, simple and, and maybe a lot of your listeners are real smart and they've already done this, but it t- I had to learn this the hard way. I turn off all notifications. Every The only thing that pops up on my phone is when I get a text message or a phone call. I don't need to know that someone liked my picture on Facebook. I don't need to know the the headlines of the news until I'm ready to go find them. So that's one thing that I think um, maybe a lot of people naturally turn them off, but then some of us might be like, oh, but it it doesn't bother me. It's fine. But I want to be like, do you know how many times while you're trying to work and think that you, we just get this distracted, you know, talk about wanting to be a learner, Mm -hmm. it's really difficult to learn when you're doing it in 30 second increments because you're constantly distracted by that ping of your phone. Um, AJ Swoboda talks about the the seismic shift. He's a writer and a a teacher. And he talks about um, how in the last 50 years, we've gone from having a TV in our living room to having a TV in our pocket. And this has great implications for us and our ability to learn and focus and Mm -hmm. do great work. So I think that's the first really simple practical thing is just turn off those darn notifications. And then the second thing for me is pay attention when you open your inbox, pay attention to what it does in you. Do you lift and get excited about what you find in your inbox or does it immediately overwhelm you? And then if it overwhelms you, which that's me, that's how I would answer that. Another great question to ask yourself is why? Is it because the sheer number of email, of of mail in the inbox? For me, one time when I did this, I recognized that I was, and I even got in there and I was trying to clean it out. And I recognized a pattern that I had um, inadvertently stumbled into in the season of my life. This was a couple of years ago. And that was I had entered into the bad habit of collecting gurus or collecting teachers. And I realized I had uh, emails from a expert on what, how to dress for my body type, an expert on my best colors to wear, 
a book selling, like a marketing guy had, I had all these email sequences from him. I had um, things about how to declutter my house. And it was like, not just one email, but sequences of emails that I had signed up for, like I'll get their ebook and then they send the emails for free. All great, really great, smart stuff. But I had collected them to the point where I was almost like, I couldn't focus on any of their help because mm -hmm. I had so many of them going at once. And what I realized in that season, when I looked at my life and practiced some reflection, I recognized, oh, I'm right now, I'm in a season of not really knowing what to do next and of feeling a little bit um, like I'm doubting my own calling. I'm doubting my next steps. And so I started to buddy up to the confidence of others and tried to find some step-by-step -step stuff in areas of life that I could control, or I felt like I could control, like how I dressed, how I marketed books and how I cleaned my house. I mean, these are very actionable things. And so I started having to let go of some of the gurus. It doesn't mean they were bad. It doesn't mean they weren't giving me great information. But for that season of my life, it was not my next right thing to listen to all these people at one time. So choose your gurus wisely. Mm -hmm. That's the second thing. So as I uh, was just preparing for this interview, I was going through your blog. And I want to read a statement that you made and uh, kind of get your thoughts on it. Because it just really resonated with me. And it's, while having a plan has helped me navigate a lot of decisions in my life, the actual results of my plan were rarely, if ever, part of the plan. And I just finished reading that, and I was like, this is such a profound statement. Would you be able to just elaborate on it, and what, what led to you having this idea? Gosh, that's a great question. I don't know what led to me having that <laughs> idea, but I do know um, I don't ever want to be accused of being a kind of person who's like, well, she just talked about doing the next thing. And, and, but I like to know kind of to plan bigger picture and to think about goals and listen, I plan, I am a planner and I look at the year and quarters and I have, um, you know, things that I look ahead to. I think it's so important and valuable to have a plan, but, um, the same with desires. It's, we have desires like they, they exist. We have a plan. It's there. It's smart and it can head us in a direction. But when we get into trouble is when we take that open hand and start to close it over the plan and write it in pen and etch it in stone. And then we have this stubborn inability to be moved. I just don't think when I look back at life and think of the most beautiful and serendipitous things that have happened and the things that I remember, the things that were most transformative Rarely were they things I had put on my calendar and and planned and said, well, on that Thursday, my life is going to change because I'm going to have this conversation. No, it's just but having the plan possibly put me in the path of the person who I had the conversation with. So remembering letting plans have their rightful place of this is an arrow, a direction I'm going to set in, but it's not a, like a train track. It's more of a path a train track, a train is staying on that track. Yeah. No matter what, but a footpath, you might, you know, you might veer off one way or the other. And that is, can be a really lovely thing. Mm -hmm. What's helped you kind of develop that mindset of adaptability and being willing to adapt? Because as, as you were saying to what's happening and what the next right thing is, what's, what's helped you to develop that mentality of, I don't know if it's being more comfortable with change or just a willingness to adapt. It's a great question. <laughs> Don't you love it when people tell you you're asking great questions in a uh, podcast interview? Because that's your job, right? So they pay you the big bucks to do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think 
I think not being flexible and it not going great is a great way to learn to do something different. And I also think it depends on your personality. Like I'm someone who really delights in the gray and mysterious areas of life. And I I get a lot of life from that. Whereas I have friends who are like, there is black, there is white, put me in gray. I'm super uncomfortable, you know, and, and I get that, but I get that in my mind. I don't fully get that in experience because, um, I have a little bit more of an artistic bent and like, Oh, but there's mystery and we don't know it's coming and it's so exciting. You know, like that's kind of a weird way I'm made. So I do think that's a part of it, but I do think my faith plays a big role in that. Um, you know, trusting in a God you can't see will definitely bring about, um, some life experience that, uh, is, will influence how you live, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a huge part as well. And has, has brought me a lot of peace and contentment in the midst of not knowing what's next. Mm -hmm. So Emily, just as we're wrapping up, we always have a few questions that we love to ask all of our guests. And the first thing is what's one thing that is helping you right now, either personally or professionally? Oh, one thing of, of all the things it It could be, be. it could be literally anything. Okay. Well, you know, just yesterday I thought there are two, um, there are two apps that I could not do my work without. Mm -hmm. One is Dropbox because I don't know how, (laughs) how do people do their work without Dropbox, save their files, organize things. I don't know. The second is Voxer because, uh, Voxer is like the walkie talkie app that you can Mm -hmm. leave messages for people. That's how my whole team and like everybody I work with, we have conversations that we could not have. Like, what are we going to do? Get on the phone a million times a day? And ha- No. So those two things are definitely helping me in my work for sure. <laughs> what advice would you give to someone who is eager to learn? I would say there is no wrong and your pace is your pace. Sometimes we think we have to catch up to something or do it the way someone else does it. But you get to do it the way you do it. And you get to do it at your own pace. Mm-hmm. If you could have everyone learn one thing, what would it be? If I could have everyone learn one thing, you know, seriously, I think if I could have everyone learn one thing, it would be that I wish everyone believed they were an artist because I think that when we live our lives understanding our birthright, which is to be creative people, whether you're a mathematician or a painter, Mm -hmm. I think it would have a huge impact on the world. Mm -hmm. What would be one or two things that people can do to start living more that way? Oh, well, begin to clear the clutter on the level of your soul to name those unnamed things that exist uh, in the unspoken places within us and to simply begin to do the next right thing in love. Mm-hmm. And then our final question is, what are you learning right now? I am learning uh, the, <laughs> the capacity that I, I'm learning where my limits are, honestly, mm-hmm. for, for my schedule and my time. I I am playing at the edge of the cliff of my own limitations (laughs) and I would like to back up from the edge. (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, hey, Emily, it's been great talking with you. I know people are going to want to pick up the book, you know, check out your podcast and your blog. Where's the best place for them to go to do all of those things? Yeah, I'm uh, nextrightthingbook.com uh, is the book. And you can find me at Emily P. Freeman on Instagram, Twitter. Also the website, emilypfreeman.com. And then the podcast is simply called The Next Right Thing Podcast. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the Learner's Corner today. Thanks for having me. Caleb, you did the interview. I did. What'd you think? Uh, I think the thing that really stood out to me most was what she talked about with decision fatigue. And here's how it's really challenged me is I've, I've just identified that I, right now in this season, I have a lot more responsibility um, in this season. And so I've had to learn that decision fatigue is has been affecting me greatly and so i need to be okay handing off more responsibility and more decisions to other people so that i can bring my best self to work to home and i don't know if i had been doing that because there was just so much weight and responsibility and i felt like i had to make so many decisions that was just wearing me down and so i had to get better at delegating to other people i'm living my best life I'm living my best life. So that's what I took away from it. That's Caleb. He wants to live his best life. Anyway, if you enjoyed this episode, you're definitely not going to want to miss our next episode when we talk with Rich Carlgard about his book, Late Bloomers. Ayo. And why. If What's you might, the big deal with Rich? Well, Rich works for Forbes. Like that like, Forbes. Like that Forbes, the magazine. And he wrote a book about being a late bloomer. And so we talk with him. And maybe you're maybe you're in that situation. You feel like, man, I'm not sure I figured out my stuff yet, or figured out my strengths and my weaknesses and all of that other good stuff. Well, we talk with Rich about that, and maybe some of the benefits that can come from being there as well. Hey, so we talk with him about that. And again, the best way to make sure you don't miss that episode is by subscribing to our podcast on whatever podcast player you use. And hey. If you've been listening to these podcasts for a while and we brought you value in any way, we would really greatly appreciate it if you would leave a rating and write a review. You can do that through many different modes. You can do that if you listen to Apple Podcasts. You can go ahead and do that through iTunes. If you are on Google Play or Android Podcasts, you can also do that through those mediums as well. However you do it, please do it. It's the best way for us to be able to gain exposure on the Apple directory as well as the google directory for podcasts and it's just a fun little neat way that doesn't take you a whole lot of time to be able to say thank you yep and thank you for listening to today's episode of the learner's corner podcast my name is kayla mason my name is not kayla mason it is todd hicksonball and until next time keep learning and keep growing deuces y'all